0: Thank you for tuning into Songs of Praise from Three ABN Australia Radio. We trust you'll enjoy this musical selection to bring you peace, comfort, and hope. Songs of Praise endeavours to draw your heart, mind and soul to a close relationship with your Saviour, Jesus Christ.
1: Beams, our Father's mercy from his love.
2: A deep desire to hear your voice You alone can listen when I call And I'll reach out to speak these words into your heart Speak to me And hear my desire Jesus, I will sing of your praise and glory With longing in my heart I will call To speak these words into your heart And Jesus, I will call on your name Please speak to me and hear my desire Jesus, I will sing of your praise And glory, with longing in my heart, I will call on You. Jesus, I will call on Your name. Please speak to me and hear my desire. I will sing of your praise and glory Lord
1: my trust, and find my glory in the power of His cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my
3: source of strength, my source of hope,
1: is Christ alone.
0: If you're enjoying this music, encourage your friends to listen to this program each week.
1: I could maybe impress you With tender words and a harmony A clever rhyme or two But if all I've done in the time we've shared Is turn your eyes on me Then I fail Somewhere
4: Like a bird in prison I dwelled, No freedom from my sorrow I felt. But Jesus came and listened to me, And glory to God, he set me free. He set me free, yes, he set me free, And he broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see glory to God, he set me free. Now I am climbing higher each day. Darkness of night has drifted away. My feet are planted on higher ground. And glory to God, I'm homeward bound. He set me free, yes, he set me free. And he broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory-bound, my Jesus, to see, for glory to God, he set me free. Goodbye to sin and things that confound, not of the world shall turn me around. Daily I'm working, I'm praying too. And glory to God, I'm going through. I saw the light, yes, I saw the light. There is no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I wandered so aimless Life filled with sin I wouldn't let my dear Savior in Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night Praise the Lord I saw the light I saw the light I saw the light light. No more darkness No more night Now I'm so happy No sorrow inside Praise the Lord I saw the light I was a fool to wander and stray Straight is the gate and narrow the way Now I have traded wrong for the right Praise the Lord, I saw the light I saw the light, I saw the light No more darkness, no more night Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Yes, brother, he He set set me free. free. Yes, he He set set me free. free. And he He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see. For glory to to God, he set me free. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see. For glory to God, he he said
1: free.
3: On Zion's glorious summit stood a numerous street redeemed by blood. They him their king in strength divine song and strong to join. I heard the song and strong to join. Hear all who suffered sword or flame for truth or Jesus' lovely name. Shall victory now and hail the. great I am, and bow before the great I am. While everlasting ages roll, eternal love shall feast their soul, and seems a place ever. Rising succession to their view, rising succession to their view.
1: you. Keep...
0: your family and friends to also enjoy Songs of
5: Praise. Mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wall. fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace.
1: I walked along my way He you said you're un- You've said to me, it's under the blood. Still my joy And I miss out- grace that's brought me safe this far will safely lead me on for the truth and-
6: We won't give over There are things worth fighting for
0: At Three ABN Australia Radio, are delighted to share songs of praise with you. We look forward to your company next time. Welcome to Three ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book, Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads.
7: Continuing the chapter, Without a Wedding Garment. The white robe of innocence was worn by our first parents when they were placed by God in Holy Eden. They lived in perfect conformity to the will of God. All the strength of their affections was given to their Heavenly Father. A beautiful, soft light, the light of God, enshrouded the Holy Pair. This robe of light was a symbol of their spiritual garments of heavenly innocence. Had they remained true to God, it would ever have continued to enshroud them. But when sin entered, they severed their connection with God, and the light that had encircled them departed. Naked and ashamed, they tried to supply the place of the heavenly garments by sewing together fig leaves for a covering. This is what the transgressors of God's law have done ever since the day of Adam and Eve's disobedience. They have sewed together fig leaves to cover the nakedness caused by transgression. They have worn the garments of their own devising By works of their own, they have tried to cover their sins and make themselves acceptable with God. But this they can never do. Nothing can man devise to supply the place of his lost robe of innocence. No fig leaf garment, no worldly citizen dress can be worn by those who sit down with Christ and angels at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Only the covering which Christ Himself has provided can make us meet to appear in God's presence. This covering, the robe of His own righteousness, Christ will put upon every repenting, believing soul. I counsel thee, He says, to buy of me white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Revelation 3, verse 18. This robe, woven in the loom of heaven has in it not one thread of human devising. Christ in His humanity wrought out a perfect character, and this character He offers to impart to us. All our righteousness are as filthy rags, Isaiah 64 verse 6. Everything that we of ourselves can do is defiled by sin. But the Son of God was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Sin is defined to be the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, verses 5 and 4. Christ was obedient to every requirement of the law. He said of himself, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart, Psalm 40, verse 8. When on earth he said to his disciples, I have kept my Father's commandments, John 15, verse 10. By his perfect obedience He has made it possible for every human being to obey God's commandments. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with His heart. The will is merged in His will. The mind becomes one with His mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to Him. We live His life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of His righteousness. Then as the Lord looks upon us, he sees not the fig-leaf garment, not the nakedness and deformity of sin, but his own robe of righteousness, which is perfect obedience to the law of Jehovah. The guests at the marriage feast were inspected by the king. Only those were accepted who had obeyed his requirements and put on the wedding garment. So it is with the guests at the gospel feast. All must pass the scrutiny of the great king, and only those are received Who were put on the robe of Christ's righteousness? Righteousness is right doing, and it is by their deeds that all will be judged. Our characters are revealed by what we do. The works show whether the faith is genuine. It is not enough for us to believe that Jesus is not an imposter and that the religion of the Bible is no cunningly devised fable. We may believe that the name of Jesus is the only name under heaven whereby man may be saved, and yet we may not, through faith, make him our personal Saviour. It is not enough to believe the theory of truth. It is not enough to make a profession of faith in Christ and have our names registered on the church roll. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. 1 John 3, verse 24, and 1 John 2, verse 3. This is the genuine evidence of conversion. Whatever our profession, it amounts to nothing unless Christ is revealed in works of righteousness. The truth is to be planted in the heart. It is to control the mind and regulate the affections the whole character must be stamped with the divine utterances. Every jot and tittle of the word of God is to be brought into the daily practice. He who becomes a partaker of the divine nature will be in harmony with God's great standard of righteousness, His holy law. This is the rule by which God measures the actions of men. This will be the test of character in the judgment. There are many who claim that by the death of Christ the law was abrogated. But in this they contradict Christ's own words think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. Matthew five verses seventeen and eighteen. It was to atone for man's transgression of the law that Christ lay down his life. Could the law have been changed or set aside, then Christ need not have died. By his life on earth, he honored the law of God. By his death, he established it. He gave his life as a sacrifice, not to destroy God's law, not to create a lower standard, but that justice might be maintained, that the law might be shown to be immutable, that it might stand fast forever. Satan then claimed that it was impossible for man to obey God's commandments. And in our own strength, it is true that we cannot obey them. But Christ came in the form of humanity, and by His perfect obedience, He proved that humanity and divinity combined can obey every one of God's precepts. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. John 1 verse 12. This power is not in the human agent. It is the power of God. When a soul receives Christ, he receives power to live the life of Christ. God requires perfection of His children. His law is a transcript of His character, and it is the standard of all character. This infinite standard is presented to all that there may be no mistake in regard to the kind of people whom God will have to compose His kingdom. The life of Christ on earth was a perfect expression of God's law, and when those who claim to be children of God become Christ-like in character, they will be obedient to God's commandments. Then the Lord can trust them to be of the number who shall compose the family of heaven. Clothed in the glorious apparel of Christ's righteousness, they have a place at the king's feast. They have a right to join the blood-washed throng. The man who came to the feast without a wedding garment represents the condition of many in our world today. They profess to be Christians and lay claim to the blessings and privileges of the gospel, yet they feel no need of a transformation of character. They have never felt true repentance for sin. They do not realize their need of Christ or exercise faith in Him. They have not overcome their hereditary or cultivated tendencies to wrongdoing. Yet they think that they are good enough in themselves and they rest upon their own merits instead of trusting in Christ. Hearers of the word, they come to the banquet, but they have not put on the robe of Christ's righteousness. Many who call themselves Christians are mere human moralists. They have refused the gift which alone could enable them to honor Christ by representing Him to the world. The work of the Holy Spirit is to them a strange work, They are not doers of the word. The heavenly principles that distinguish those who are one with Christ from those who are one with the world have become almost indistinguishable. The professed followers of Christ are no longer a separate and peculiar people. The line of demarcation is indistinct. The people are subordinating themselves to the world, to its practices, its customs, its selfishness. The church has gone over to the world in transgression of the law when the world should have come over to the church in obedience to the law. Daily, the church is being converted to the world. All these expect to be saved by Christ's death while they refuse to live his self-sacrificing life. They extol the riches of free grace and attempt to cover themselves with an appearance of righteousness, hoping to screen their defects of character, but their efforts... be of no avail in the day of god the righteousness of christ will not cover one cherished sin a man may be a lawbreaker in heart yet if he commits no outward act of transgression he may be regarded by the world as possessing great integrity but god's law looks into the secrets of the heart every act is judged by the motives that prompt it only that which is in accord with the principles of God's law will stand in the judgment. God is love; He has shown that love in the gift of Christ when he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. he withheld nothing from his purchased possession John three sixteen He gave all heaven from which we may draw strength and efficiency that we be not repulsed or overcome by our great adversary. But the love of God does not lead him to excuse sin. He did not excuse it in Satan. He did not excuse it in Adam or in Cain. Nor will he excuse it in any other of the children of men. He will not connive at our sins or overlook our defects of character. He expects us to overcome in his name. Those who reject the gift of Christ's righteousness are rejecting the attributes of character which would constitute them the sons and daughters of God. They're rejecting that which alone could give them a fitness for a place at the marriage feast. In the parable, when the king inquired, How camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? The man was speechless. So it will be in the great judgment day. Men may now excuse their defects of character, But in that day, they will offer no excuse. The professed churches of Christ in this generation are exalted to the highest privileges. The Lord has been revealed to us in ever-increasing light. Our privileges are far greater than were the privileges of God's ancient people. We have not only the great light committed to Israel, but we have the increased evidence of the great salvation brought to us through Christ. That which was type and symbol to the Jews is reality to us. They had the Old Testament history. We have that and the New Testament also. We have the assurance of a Saviour who has come, a Saviour who has been crucified, who has risen, and over the rent sepulcher of Joseph has proclaimed, I am the resurrection and the life. In our knowledge of Christ and His love, the kingdom of God is placed in the midst of us. Christ is revealed to us in sermons and chanted to us in songs. The spiritual banquet is set before us in rich abundance. The wedding garment, provided at infinite cost, is freely offered to every soul. By the messengers of God are presented to us the righteousness of Christ, justification by faith, the exceeding great and precious promises of God's Word, free access to the Father by Christ, the comfort of the Spirit, the well-grounded assurance of eternal life in the Kingdom of God. What could God do for us that He has not done in providing the Great Supper, the heavenly banquet?
0: Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. you enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com.
8: Some men are born heroes. They can look fear in the face and wonder what it is. Others are not born that way, but they end their life as heroes. Thomas Cramner was such a man. Born into a good family, a well-to-do family, here in the village of Ashlockton on the 2nd of July 1489. Thomas Cramner was educated from a young age, and growing up, we know that he was an expert bowman, hunter, and a great horseman. He enrolled at Cambridge University at the age of 14 and earned his BA in 1511. He was then elected a fellow here at Jesus College and earned his Doctor of Divinity in 1523. He lost his fellowship a year later when he got married, but a year after that, when his wife and child died, he regained his fellowship. His rise to archbishop was unconventional and not sought after. The issue of the day was King Henry VIII's desire to divorce his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, and Cramner commented to some friends at a lunch that he thought the king should obtain a consensus of opinion from the leading universities around Europe regarding whether this was permissible. Word of these comments reached the king, who liked them and thought highly of Cramner. This set in series a motion of events that ended up with Cramner becoming the Archbishop of Canterbury, even though he had never been a bishop before and was quite content being a university scholar. subsequently divorced Catherine and married Anne Boylin, whose daughter, Elizabeth, later Queen of England, was goddaughter to Cranmer. Henry's gift to England was to break the yoke of Rome and to abolish monasticism, but he himself was a faithful papist in his beliefs until the end. At the coronation of Edward VI, Cranmer preached a sermon likening him to the biblical boy king, Josiah. Cranmer also was instrumental in translating the Book of Common Prayer into English for the first time, rather than using the traditional Latin. In 1553, following Edward's death, Mary Tudor ascended to the throne, despite an attempt by Lady Jane Grey to hold the throne, which lasted only nine days. Mary then took Stephen Gardner from the Tower of London and made him Lord Chancellor. She then threw Thomas Cranmer in prison for his role in Henry's divorce from her mother and for his Protestant beliefs. Cranmer spent two and a half years in prison, during which time he was brought to the roof of the prison to watch the martyrdom of Ridley and Latimer in an attempt to make him recant, which he eventually did pledging his allegiance to Catholicism, but this did not secure his freedom. He was finally brought to trial here at St. Mary's Church, where he was forced to listen to a two-hour sermon denouncing himself. When he was brought to make a public recantation, he stood on a wooden platform, which rested against a pillar where a wedge was cut, which can still be seen today. He stood up, denounced the Pope as Antichrist, withdrew his former recantation, and stood by his previous teachings. He was taken to the place of his execution and as he reached the flames, he held his right hand in first, the same that had signed the recantation saying, this hand hath offended, it shall first be burned. He held it there for a while before collapsing into the flames. Mary went on to slaughter 250 more Protestants during her reign, and when she died, Elizabeth I took the throne. One of her first acts as regent was to revive the Book of Prayer written by Cramner, which was a fitting tribute to the man who was her godfather. Though Cramner recanted in the face of pressure and persecution, he ended his life a hero, faithful to God at the very end. Proverbs 24 verse 16 says that a just man falls seven times, but rises again. It's not how often you fall that matters, but that you rise at the end.
0: More episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to LineageJourney.com.